we're live. We are here. We are in the Outback Steakhouse live for another episode of Earbuds Podcast. What up, YouTube? Uh, <laughs> you don't talk until we introduce you. <laughs> you don't, don't you say I was going to say so. Sir. <laughs> we, this is a very special episode of Earbuds, guys, because uh, we have our buddy, our friend, who we've known a very long time. We have Fred Durst on the call. Fred, how you doing? Fred, so excited to have you. He's a little shy. Uh, oh, God, I can't do this. <laughs> hey, what's going on? <laughs> there he is right there. <laughs> uh, we, we have a very special guest named Luis on the podcast. Uh, he's in the band Mortales. He's a bassist. He is a music engineer, I'd say. Maybe a producer. Oh, man. Uh, he's got so. a whole maybe setup. Maybe a prodigy. Maybe a prodigy. Maybe a genius. Renaissance man. A yep. renaissance man. <laughs> and he's he... extremely modest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm fucking humble, and... y'all. <laughs> I'm so humble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, such so... a good movie. Oh, dude, I love that fucking movie. So I, I had to rewatch it with some people recently, and uh, it's kind of exhausting. <laughs> because of how fucking funny it is. It's, yeah, and it's just nonstop. Yeah. Like, just one-liners and, like, 30-second scenes, and it just keeps going and keeps going. And it's just like... What movie like is I, this? Uh, pop Star. Mm-hmm. Pot Star. Pop Star. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought there was, like, a Snoop Dogg thing or something. Uh, it's got a, it's got a subtitle, right? Like never, never stop, never stopping. Yeah, <laughs> it's a Lonely Island movie, right? And they're basically making fun of like Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus and like all these like um, you know celebrities. I, I, I would have to say, out of everyone, it would pr- probably Justin Timberlake the most, uh, and because he fucking stars in it and has that whole fucking yeah, scene. In it. And, oh man, that scene where he, you know he's talking about how he's his chef and everything and he's just staring at him from the door yeah he's like like a huge smile on his yeah. face like psyched that he's enjoying his carrots yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah and then the guy who's making who's parodying tyler the creator is so fucking funny dude. oh yeah i his need, I need like, to watch that movie man brett you do man uh, Wait, where line. is it where, can I, so where is good. it anywhere you can rent movies online uh-huh. i think we just got it on amazon yeah but yeah, I realized after rewatching it, probably for the fifth time or something, um, that movie would would do better as like a five episode thing, because it's really like exhausting. Like it's it's not even an hour and a half long, but by the end you're just like, dude, so many one liners are being thrown at me, and they're also like every line is funny in the movie. Mm. Um, but yeah, me and when me and Luis first saw it together, we after we watched it, we like. I think we started watching like some music videos from the songs in the in the movie, and then we were like quoting the movie back and forth to each other, and we both like at the same time were like, "Do you want to watch that again?" <laughs> and we we're like, "Yeah, dude, I kind of do." And we watched it two times in a row the first time we saw it, and just like laughed just as hard the second time. Jeez, I feel like nobody talks about that. So movie, man. completely un- underappreciated. I 
don't completely. know why. Uh, I, I don't think any of his movies really have made it that big. I hear a lot about Hot Rod, but I've never even seen Hot Rod. Hot Rod's great. Have you seen Hot Rod, Brett? I mean, you're not a movie guy, so I don't think you've seen anything. I've seen a little bit of Hot Rod. I've seen, like, bits and pieces, uh, like, where they're, uh... It's it, like it's this one part where they're just talking to each other and they're like they reconciled or something and they're just like saying this one line back and forth, saying cool beans. Like, yeah, cool beans. <laughs> hey, cool, cool beans. Cool beans for man. like two and a half minutes. And they're going like cool beans, like just doing it as goofy as possible. It's the it's a really random movie. But yeah, you would like Popstar, I think, Brett. I need to get into it because the only other thing that's like scratched that itch. I need to watch a. Uh, the friggin' Huey Cox movie as well. Oh, Dewey yeah. Cox. Dewey Cox. Yeah, I've never seen that one either. The only thing oh, that's you like, haven't? No. It's it's just Spinal Tap uh-huh. is the only other like music comedy thing I've seen, and that's like one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. So I don't know why I can't hop on to this. This review just says on like shit the sandwich, and, like the little elves. <laughs> Circling, uh, yeah, the, Stonehenge. Uh, Stonehenge. Stonehenge. <laughs> Stonehenge was nearly knocked over by a dwarf. Ah, <laughs> uh, so many iconic moments from that movie, man. And yeah. I feel like I, I feel weird because I feel like not a lot of people have seen that. Really? Well, yeah, like everyone I've talked to, like, I think, honestly, cool and, I think that's one of those things where it's just a generational thing. Um, yeah. I don't think a lot of uh, people your age like just had the opportunity to see something like that because like our parents for sure, everyone knows that fucking movie, and then mm-hmm. uh, you know even less of our generation know now even less with y'all's. Yeah, y'all just... have lost your way, man. <laughs> you guys are just okay, yeeting well, on everything and skating on everything else. Our generation <laughs> made fucking pop dabbing stars, this so, and dabbing uh... that. Uh, your generation did not make pop star. That's me and Luis's generation. <laughs> they made it in this era. Having, having grown up and are now successful people producing their own shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I think Spinal Tap, I rewatched it like a few years ago, and it's way quieter and slower than I remember it being. Yeah, it's a very like <laughs> kind of very slow paced, spacey thing. Yeah. It's like it, it, it's kind of a lot of older movies give me that vibe. Oh yeah, you know that there's a lot more space and just a lot more quiet than than modern stuff. And I don't know if that's something that happened on purpose or no. Nah, it, 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 it definitely definitely happened on purpose. And I don't know, it might, may just also be a, an American thing as well. Because uh, yeah, you gotta keep people like interested. That's something that I've noticed uh, with the show Hell's um, Kitchen Nightmares uh, with Gordon Ramsay. Um, the British version, like the stereotype that you have of Gordon Ramsay is non-existent in the British television show. He's quiet, talks to people <laughs> calmly. Really? Yeah, yeah. He's actually nice. Yeah, like he, he's really sweet. Oh, he talks God. to them calmly, explains why things don't work, and they they <laughs> they still don't receive his his advice afterwards. Uh, but it's a completely fucking different show where where like in America, it's just like constant cutting back and forth. The editing is just yeah. absolutely everywhere and. One of the things that I hate about uh, American television, actually, it's it's really easy to ignore once you notice it. Like, I can't stand it, and, like, I got to fucking try and get it out of my head, is the camera shaking. And sometimes mm-hmm. they do it, like, post, 
like when they're editing. I don't know why what? they fucking do that, man. Like it just it completely throws me off once I notice it. They're just trying to add like a uh, superficial drama, yeah, to it. So like, yeah, I've noticed. Uh, I'm like 14 seasons into Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been my my quarantine uh, obsession. And like the first season from to now the 14th season is such a different show already. But from the first season, he was calling people donkeys. You fucking donkey. <laughs> Uh, man, if there's one season that I remember the most, because I, I remember watching that a long time ago, there's this one season where the winner is this fucking, uh, this guy who, like, continuously eats shit for, like, the very beginning of the season, and then at one point, like, breaks his arm, and then wins yeah. everything at the end, and, like, he became, like, the most successful out of all, out of, all of them, like, because I think if you look into it, a lot of the winners, like, they just, for whatever reason, don't make it after the show. Dude, yeah, Dave. Mm. Yeah, that He's, was. Uh, that's probably yeah, the, the, he, the best season I think that I remember he, watching. He was a badass dude. Yeah, he like fucked up a nerve or something in his left arm, and mm. then for the rest of the season, the whole second half of the season, he is basically one armed, and yeah. he ends up winning. Jeez, Big time, man. like completely blows everyone out of the water. And he had us like super California accent. Yeah. So like he would talk. My name's Dave. <laughs> and when I spent the summer in Mongolia, I learned how to make this uh, this type of rice. Like that's what he talked like. He became a character in our in our fucking house. Like me, Peter, and Christina were just like, uh, my friend Dave told me. <laughs> Dang, I want to get into this album. Yeah, let's. <laughs> you know what? Enough. Brett, of, enough do, of this... do the tro, bro. The tro. All right. Hey, everybody! Welcome. To another episode of the Earbuds Podcast, a podcast where uh, three very good friends talk about very good albums for a very good amount of time. Today we have with us uh, Luis, and he's brought in Three Dollar Bill Y'all by Limp Biscuit. Third Coast. Uh, probably the if, fucking the worst uh, album choice so far out of everything y'all have done. <laughs> That's but, not true. But I really do think, man, like this album, uh, I mean, not to say anything about the band, uh, but this album, I think, perfectly encapsulates what the early 2000s were about. Like this is a perfect example of what new metal was at its perfection. It's height. And that's Dude, yeah. quite some praise for Limp Biscuit. <laughs> Everything after that can just fucking fall into the dustbin of history, man. Like, but this album, just keep this one album. Yeah, this album is like way more angry and fucking like nasty, dude. Mm-hmm. The the guitar tone of this album is nasty. Yeah. It's very grimy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it, dude. And uh, I think compared to the other albums, uh, especially... Uh, this is the only good performance that Fred Durst has. Uh, I really think that a lot of the angry, like screaming and uh, all the other things that he does in the other albums are just, they're counterfeit to this album, man. Kind of, ca- I was about to say like, like there are so many moments in this uh, record that like you can just tell he's losing his fucking shit. Like in the very first song, Pollution, uh, at the Ooh, very oh, yeah. end, like he's just screaming that last fucking uh, word at the very end over and over and over again. You can tell that he's just like ripping his fucking throat out saying it. Yeah, dude. Like that must have been the last thing he did in the studio mm. that day. 
Back, 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 back. But that's in every. But that's in every. That's in every fucking song. Like even in the next one, Counterfeit, he's just saying, "You're a counterfeit." Oh yeah. Fat. Like every fucking his shit out. Like man, you can just feel it. Yeah, he he definitely had nodules after this fucking record. Yeah. (laughs) It it was almost at a point where uh, I feel like the the further this album goes along, like the more it kind of calms down relatively Mm. uh so it's it's kind of weird to hear him just kind of talk rapping yeah you know so much so that i thought i could have sworn that like tracks like clunk and indigo flow had guest features right and uh man i didn't see anything about uh any guest features specifically in this album but i know that this is around the time when they were uh, really good friends, with, specifically with Corn, yeah. And um, I'm sure they had like uh, I think with um, actually with Faith. So Faith was the one single off of this album, the only one that had um, a video as well. And I, th- if I remember correctly, the video had some of the people from like their time period in there as well. Yeah, the video was um, they did two versions. I read because the first one, uh, Fred Durst directed both of them. And he didn't like the first one. Um, so the second one, they just incorporated a bunch of footage from their tours that they were on. And they were touring with like Primus and Corn mm-hmm. and some other people at the time. So they were just like, yeah, let's put, put our friends in the video, you know, and try and make it more fun. Yeah. I think Faith is the song that got me to buy this album. It was, uh, yeah. I mean, I remember when uh, that song first came out. Uh, I, didn't even, I don't think I even knew what the, the, sorry, the song Faith was before this i didn't this is the that was the first version of faith i'd ever heard right really yeah it must Uh have been crazy when y'all heard the original (laughs) yeah i love this sounds nothing like like lip biscuit uh this is around the time where a lot of bands like this i think purposely did uh like pop covers uh sure yeah because like think about this think about like yeah orgy is another one uh was Local H part of that time period as well? I th- they did that one uh, Britney Spears song, um, Poison. Toxic? Oh. Or Toxic, yeah. That had to have been years later. Venomous. <laughs> oh. uh, but yeah, it's, it's odd because there are a lot of bands that kind of come up from doing covers, you know? Yeah. And it, it kind of th- – this Faith – from what I read in the genius was kind of their first big splash on the scene. And yeah. It's weird because faith was the fourth single off of this record. And it's the first one I heard really counterfeit was the first one they came out with. Uh, and then nobody loves me, which I would is definitely a flyover song for me. Mm. Um, and then sour and then faith. Hmm. Huh? Yeah. That's it, surprising. They're really trying to get something from this record. <laughs> they knew they had something, right? But I, it was a slow start. Uh, I think it was it only sold like a hundred k when before Faith came out, and then when Faith came out, it like blew them up a little bit. Yeah, and uh, from what I read, um, Ross Robinson, who's the producer of this record, um, really did not like Faith at first, and apparently changed his mind once they recorded it because it was that good. Right. Well, and apparently the original artist despised the cover. 
Yeah. <laughs> and like actually hates it <laughs> and the band. So that might have been part of why they didn't release it immediately as a single. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck? I mean, was George Michael even relevant in 1998? Oh, yeah, up. for sure. I mean, was he? I think he was still relevant all the way up to his death, I think. Oh, is he dead? Ooh. Oh, yeah. He, he only. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> no, go ahead and say all that crap you were wanting to say. <laughs> I hope that guy dies. <laughs> Man, he was uh, he was such a good writer. Like all, he wrote so many good songs. He wrote one of my favorite Christmas songs. Yeah. Which one? Fuck! Now I gotta look it up. Uh, yes, yes. I gave you my heart, and the very oh, really? next day you gave it away. Ooh, so sexy. Dude, it's great. That so and whisper. Ooh. And that Wham song that I loved? You know, uh, for the longest time, I always got him and Cher confused. <laughs> How? I don't know, man. Like, to me, they, they, uh, so there, there's certain, like, vocal inflections that they have. And I think they, they were both uh, using uh, autotune as well. So, like, I started to associate mm. them kind of like being the same singer. <laughs> <laughs> so when... Uh... Uh, what was that Cher song? The super auto tune one? Uh, Life After Love? No. Yeah. That's not. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you I... believe in Life After Love? <laughs> you thought that was George Michael? <laughs> <laughs> A little older George Michael. <laughs> I'm like, man, he's really leaning on the yeah. auto tune on this one. <laughs> I, can, I, I actually confused George Michael with the dude from. Um, Karma Chameleon. Oh, yeah. I confuse those two guys all the time. Man, what was, his, what was that guy's name? That was... Isn't it George something? <laughs> that would be convenient. Sure. Oh, Karma Chameleon. George, he, boy oh, George. Boy George, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and he had that look where it looked like someone melted a wax candle over his bald head. <laughs> Remember yeah. that? <laughs> Yeah, Boy George was an interesting dude, man. Mm-hmm. He came out with a really good. Uh, he was featured. Y'all know Mark Ronson. Yeah, he's the he, uptown funk guy, right? Yeah, yeah. His solo stuff is um, honestly really good, and he had a a song on one of his solo albums with Boy George singing on it, and it's like my favorite on the on the record. Wow, kind of bringing him back. And I was for the longest time, I was like, dude, Mark Ronson, like, where the fuck did this guy come from? I'm just like, he's just like a fucking no name dude that all of a sudden like blew up on the scene. And it, one of his albums that got me into him was cover songs. Like he did, he redid songs, like mm. made his own versions of them, like full band versions. Um, but then it turns out he's the guitarist of the fuck, or he's the son of the guitarist of David Bowie. So I'm just like fucking nepotism. <laughs> yeah, man, nepotism. they all fucking well, they all change their that names guy. so that nobody associates them with their parents. There's so many musicians, actors, actresses, all do the same thing. Yeah, that chick even, that did uh, X's and O's was the I mean, same. Isn't uh, like isn't Rob Nick Schneider's Cage, daughter? Isn't Nick yeah. Cage like a cousin or something in Ford Coppola? Mm-hmm. Like that's uh, that's why he fucking changes changes his name. Yeah. Um, same with like any like Julia Roberts. Like um, her dad was a famous actor. Mm-hmm. 
and then Emma Roberts, like no one really associates these people with each other, but yeah, they're uh, like, there's so many relate. Like it's like the, the new dude in tenant is uh, Denzel Washington's son. Uh, for all the Seinfeld fans, Julia Dreyfus, like her parents are uh, famous uh, actors, aren't they? Well, I think um, that's been an debunked. Oh, really? <laughs> I think on, if you look at Snopes, it's yeah. Cause Richard Dreyfus, right. The dude from jaws, mm. But they spell their names totally differently. Like, <laughs> that's not her dad. <laughs> Helping well, to spread this information every single day. But my <laughs> my question is, how did Limp Biscuit become before this album even came out? How did they become friends with Corn and like and Primus and all these people? Like, where well, did that? You can't. Happen? Can you imagine a person like Fred Durst not being the loudest guy in any room? <laughs> I don't think it was that hard. <laughs> oh, he was. The loudest guy in a Chick-fil-A, apparently. Uh, the bassist, <laughs> Sam Rivers, and Fred Durst were the first to meet up, and they met up uh, while working at a Chick-fil-A. Really? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> she, well, a classic, one of those classic Chick-fil-A origin stories, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a, meet, a Chick-fil-A meet-cute. <laughs> I, w- I refuse to play with y'all until we all... Uh, it got ourselves employed at a chick-fil-a and worked you know at, we gotta weeks. know we gotta fry some chicken first before we get in a band together that's how we yeah. know that old that's, you don't really know who someone is until you've fried chicken with them exactly exactly until you until you've made bread and butter pickles together <laughs> <laughs> well let me i want to ask y'all uh luis did you did you actually listen to this album before we started recording <laughs> I am listening to it fresh right now. Okay. Okay. Nice. Uh, well, I was I, I was wondering like how long it'd been since y'all listened last. So I probably listened to this album last about a year ago. I would say probably. I know this is one that we've put on several times at band practice, mm-hmm. or afterwards. You know, like getting drunk and and playing video games and being like, "All right, we're putting on pollution." Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Especially on your badass speakers, Luis. This, this yeah. I remember this album sounded so good. <laughs> but yeah, this is a for me. This was like definitely a go-to. Like I'm drunk and want to be nostalgic. There's so yeah. much nostalgia built into this record, and the reason so I many. like it so much. I don't know if I would like it if I had heard it for the first time this week. You know. So Brett, well, super curious what you think because as a as a first timer, I did not grow up with this album at all. <laughs> the I. I told Lucas this before we started recording, but Luis, mm-hmm. my introduction to Limp Biscuit was the song Rearranged. Oh, yeah. You've heard? Okay. Yep. So imagine my like steep slope of disappointment <laughs> after listening to all of their other stuff. Uh. And, then, and then you guys come in here. I don't know how we started talking about it. But y'all like, oh yeah, uh, the first Limp Bizkit album is actually amazing and the best representation of new metal. And I'm over here, like wondering what (laughs) world I landed in. You know, man, uh, one of the last things that I got from this album, from the last listens, uh, I can't believe I didn't notice it before. um, But uh, it's the overall sense that like the album's almost like a church sermon, like. the intro is a is a preacher who's talking to his constituents and then all throughout the album again it's just one of those things i never noticed before but then like in pollution i think uh there's church organs in the background and and one of the verses 
and all throughout the album they're like little signs of that counterfeit um that um i never noticed that that are shown throughout the album and i kind of feel like it kind of gives out that i don't know like again this is the best representation of that era and here's a preacher the preacher of new metal to like bring it here to you (laughs) bring it down to the masses you know i thought that was so weird where you're singing i i love jesus christ (laughs) i love jesus christ i'm like what is he trying to get across here get your guns give your guns to jesus yeah (laughs) dude yeah and it's weird like um I mean, I know the basis of Rage Against Machine has like blasted Limp Biscuit and a lot of the new metal that came out around this time because he hates that Rage was such a huge influence. Yeah. On them, but it's true. <laughs> I don't. I don't consider yeah. Rage new metal. You know, what's funny is uh, one of the things that I uh, was reading about that I thought was pretty interesting was how many of the bands that they played with that were like huge influences in their lives, and in return, those bands really didn't fucking care for them. And it eventually right. it eventually led to like the several breakups that this band had, uh, yeah. specifically with uh, in the very beginning with this album touring with Faith No More. Yeah, when Fred Durst said the f word on yeah. stage. Mm, yeah. So they, appar- so apparently, um, cool. they uh, the Faith No More uh, audience was really really vocal about not liking Limp Bizkit throughout this time period. <laughs> And, that is a uh, horrible opener for Faith No More. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. It, it, it's kind of weird. Uh, but what's funny is, like, the one and only time I've ever seen Faith No More, uh, Venom opened for them. And I don't know if, you, if any of oh, you guys wow. know who Venom is, but... Uh, nope. There's some pretty... Uh, they're really, they're heavy, really dude. different uh, compared to Faith No More. I mean, their top played song on Spotify is Black Metal, is what it's called. Yeah, yeah they're they're way heavier than Faith No More. Yeah. They're like I guess, uh, I guess I guess that's what they do. <laughs> Weird choice. Uh, but yeah, like uh, the crowd did not was not uh, appreciating the the limp sound, and uh, Fred Durst called them all a bunch of f gay word for for a really derogatory term for a gay guy, hmm. and he called the whole crowd it. And uh, turns out also that the Faith No More keyboardist is gay, so that that didn't oh, fucking come God, off well, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think it, any of us are making a moral, like, debate for Limp Biscuit, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, kind of just a shitty group of dudes. Yeah, it seems. I don't I, honestly. I think except Fred for Durst, West like, Borland, I think yeah. I think out of everyone in the group, West Borland uh, probably had the the most. Um, I don't know what's the word. The most respectable. Or, yeah, guys. maybe it's just Fred. I don't know. I think it's I, just I think Fred, man. To me, to me, it seemed like the two butting heads in this uh, relationship were definitely Fred Durst and Wes Borland. They were just constantly going at each other as far as like what the band should be. Yeah, I think, um, and also like, yeah, Wes Borland was the one that quit the band like twice, I think. Yeah, and nobody blames him. <laughs> no, I think you know it's weird, man, no. because like they became like douche rock. Like the just the definition of douche rock, especially like when Nookie was was out. Oh yeah, Nookie and, and Roland and My Generation yeah. and you know um, yeah, for sure. So, and I totally like they deserve that label, but I I watched a there's a guy on YouTube called the Punk Rock MBA is his channel. Love his videos, and he did a video about Fred Durst, and he was basically trying to see like if he if Fred Durst has gotten his 
fair, if the criticism is fair, right? Mm-hmm. And the more that he, he really delved into Fred Durst's like understanding of marketing and how he wanted to position Limp Biscuit versus other rock bands in the, in the, you know, in the genre. And yeah. a lot of the decisions that they made, including the clothes that they wore and the stuff that they talked about, their song titles, their album titles, all of that was like part of their marketing. And it was yeah. all Fred Durst. Mm-hmm. So like, as a, I can respect him as a marketer, as a marketer, you know? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, um, like, the, just the perfect combination of people somehow just makes this work. And it just sucks that, because the musicians are all really good. John so Otto. good. So fuck like, everyone in this fucking album is just on top of their game. And Durst kind of takes it, he kind of, like, sh- takes away from it a lot, I think, with his lyrics. Yeah. Um, so it sucks for them because the bassist is uh, is killer. Wes Borland is like oh, yeah. legendary, you know, and the drummers is on point, if not fucking fan- phenomenal, you know, like not mm-hmm. just in the pocket. Like he's legit fucking really good. And yeah. so, yeah, I feel like they had the, um, the benefit and the detriment of having Fred Durst as the front man. <laughs> what is it with like super talented musicians just fucking writing the silliest songs sometimes? I know. They, I mean, they got nothing Nikki... to prove, man. They know. <laughs> they know they're they're the shit. Yeah. Thing is that with the, with three dollar bill, y'all like they they legitimately sound pissed. Oh yeah. Like they sound like oh, white yeah. guys, white Florida dudes pissed off, you know. And mm-hmm. everything after that, it's like they blew up so much that by the time their significant other came out, and especially Chocolate Starfish, they were too big for their own good at that point. It it became flashy, and it like it it wasn't it didn't have the rawness anymore. Hmm. Brett, are we boring you? What are you fucking... Sorry, I'm tired. I didn't get a lot of sleep. <laughs> too, too... Thinking about this album. Yeah, I'm, ju- I'm just listening to, like, Leech, and I'm bored out of my mind. Like, no... Ugh. <laughs> no, but I love I love the energy of this album, man. And I, I didn't even expect... There are some not really softer songs, but more spacey songs that I didn't expect to be on here, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy that Borland played without a pick on this whole record too. What? Yeah. Why? He only played with his fingers. Yep. He's a classical guitarist, I guess. He just knew what he (laughs) He was doing. He had a little, one, a little classic guitar stand. He was was playing on his knee and like, uh, just, uh, I mean, he was completely different from the rest of the band, which is, uh, would wear the craziest fucking shit. Uh, oh yeah! Like I think he was honestly one of the f- uh, one of the first times besides like Marilyn Manson that I've seen someone like wear those contact lenses where it turns their whole eyes black. Right, dude. He was so he <laughs> Which was at the such time a was fucking awesome to look at as a kid. You know, coolest thing ever. Yeah. Uh, I ended up almost getting his um his signature seven string from Ibanez that was like tiger stripes, and it was like one of the coolest guitars ever. And for some reason I, I didn't fucking get it, but yeah, no. he, I, I went to family values tour in 1997. I think you went to the same one, right? Louise. Was it uh family values? Oh shit. It was, I'll, I'll give you the lineup. Uh-huh. Um, filter. Um, nope. nope. Wu, the Wu Tang clan. <laughs> oh, remember that stained. Primus. Stained. Primus was on there. 
did I say filter already? <laughs> yeah, he, that was the first one. I just took a hit, so I'm I'm already <laughs> floating a little bit. I literally I thought you were talking about a dollar store when you were you were like family values. <laughs> oh, there was yeah. a really there was there a were really filters famous, there. Uh, kind of like we have here in Austin with like Fun Fun Fest. Uh, it was just a tour that they would do every once in a while. Family values, if, if I remember correctly, right? Oh yeah, it lasted like four or five years. I want to say at least. Yeah. And it was just all those new metal bands. Uh, like, like I said, like they were all fucking friends with each other. Uh, fucking, like it was Fielding from Corn that suggested to Ross Robinson, who produced this record, like to even, like, hey, look at these people. They're fucking coming at you, and they're gonna hit coming you hard. At you. <laughs> uh, apparently, it was counterfeit uh, again. That just kept. Uh, um, like impressing people as they uh, as they were first making their rounds. Not just that, but apparently Ross's girlfriend Rachel was the one who like convinced him to actually work on the record. Hmm. So like he wasn't even sold on it, and then the girlfriend was just like, and I made I made up her name. That was a dumb French reference, but no, uh, I thought it was. <laughs> but yeah, apparently it was a girlfriend being like, "This is actually pretty good, man," and he was you know fucking whipped. He was probably whipped, so that's why he did it. <laughs> Dude, the first Family Values tour had fucking Incubus, Ice Cube, Limp Biscuit, Corn, Orgy, and fucking Ramstein, dude. Jeez, man. Woo. That's a killer lineup. Say whoop. They say whoop. Say what? Well, let's, let's get more into this album, man. Yeah. Maybe should we start with Narnugs since we're going to have like six songs between us or should we just kind of talk about it in general or what uh nah man let's talk nar nugs Luis, what what are your two favorite songs on on this record uh man I, i'd have to go with the first one being pollution just because like it's such a fucking hard hitting intro to the whole album sure. i think um especially followed by that sermon yeah Dude, yeah, then, uh, pollution is is definitely one of mine. And then as far as man, the second one, I don't know. Like, there's just some, there's so many like moments and songs in some of these songs that like just completely. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, they send chills up my back, and they give me like a quick hmm. boost of energy. <laughs> they uh, give you a little adrenaline yeah. spike. Yeah, and and I feel like every single song has a moment like that. Every single song. You don't think that there's... When I was listening to it, I felt like there was a lot more filler on this record than I remember. I I did want to ask you all about the length. Because to me, like I feel like this album could have been maybe four or five songs left off. And it would have been maybe even a better experience. Because I, I always got about halfway in and I'm like, oh man, this thing's still going like not that mm. the song quality fell off or anything but it's like an hour of this is a little tiring <laughs> i think the one thing i noticed going through this album again was that a lot of the songs sound the same yeah a lot of them have very similar riffs and like vibes so yeah i definitely felt like there's at least three or four songs that could have been left off and this would have been a much like tighter record mm. Um, but pollution, like the, his little guitar scrape 
in the beginning of pollution is like how do you do something like that perfectly like that was with your uh with your fingernails too oh yeah i guess that's it huh you, yeah. you feel the strings, man. You feel it on your nails. You feel the vibrations through your fingers. Even the guitar scrape is fucking nasty. Like, <laughs> like usually they're like clean, like with fucking hair metal and shit. But this was just like, that just got the vibe right there. That it's just like, this isn't going to be, uh, you will not enjoy this. <laughs> this will not enjoy quickly. very much. <laughs> But yeah, pollution's great, man. I love the the riff or the riff throughout the whole thing. Mm. Uh, he's he's spitting, you know. He might not have great fucking lyrics, but he's got great delivery. I mean, it's it's never really been the lyrics, right? With <laughs> right. this guy, it's yeah. it's always been the delivery, the energy, you know. The I guess even the flow, you could say, but never the lyrics. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but that fucking chorus hits hard man and the and the guitar tone throughout this song is just like he's got a weird like um it's kind of trebly it's got a bit of a twang it sounds so thick and heavy yeah it's weird to have that whenever fred durst comes in with that whatever he's fucking saying (laughs) (laughs) and the guitars just fucking come in oh man for some reason this guitar this kind of guitar tone really reminds me of uh the first few albums of Weezer. Wow, random. Really? Mm-hmm. Just really, really thick and heavy guitar tone. I Especially, don't remember uh, Weezer having such a thick guitar. Oh, dude, you need to listen to something like Pinkerton. Pinkerton is like. Oh, hands- okay. I thought you were talking about like the Blue album. No, 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 no. no. Like, uh, I think Pinkerton, especially with those later, compared to those later albums, man. Like the the tone of their guitars is completely different yeah way it fuzzier. sounds super super heavy i love it i think uh that what something that i do a lot on pinkerton that i started uh we started kind of incorporating into the mortalis shit was um i don't even know what they're called but i was calling them like double power chords yeah where i was playing like three three five five on the lower four strings and that's like right I don't even I don't know what you would call that, but I think they did that a lot on Pinkerton, and it like really beefed up some of those uh, songs. But yeah, just to get just to wrap to wrap up the pollution talk, I one of my uh, inside jokes with my friend Bud used to just like we would just randomly just go back, 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 <laughs> back, back, back for like over and over again. so much fun and i it it makes me laugh but it still like sounds cool to me Um, it's it's got to be the most iconic part of this album right yeah it's like that ending when he's just screaming his lungs out and his i don't know someone else in the studios shut up fred shut up fred shut the fuck up (laughs) but i even you know listening through this song i wonder i feel like they must have a metronome but it does feel like they kind of change the tempo up a little bit. Like they rush a couple parts and that makes it feel like even more raw, more alive, more alive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah. I couldn't see them playing this album to a metronome, man. It's too crazy. There's too much craziness going on. Yeah. It is. It is kind of loosey goosey, right? I mean, uh, just in, just in pollution, sloppy, uh, where they go into that, uh, kind of like hip hop beat in the middle of it. 
I just don't see that transitioning well with the metronome, but what do I know? That fucking dunk. Yeah. Yeah. And then they go into that heavy freaking Danek, Danek, Oh. And I used to hate uh harmonics on guitars. I Wes Borland made me love it on this album. <laughs> well, it's it's really interesting how guitarists go about making parts for these songs, isn't it? Mm. Right? Because this and uh, 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 Gym Class Heroes. Oh, I used to love Gym Class Heroes, man. It's, so, you know, that, you could was just... Was that a band? <laughs> you don't know GCH? <laughs> you, you in a gym head? <laughs> uh, but it feels like guitarists could just go along with the bass and do whatever the bass does, but... Mm-hmm. More often than not, in new metal, they they kind of do. I don't know. They they feel like they have the freedom to try other things, and spread different vibes. Yeah, with, with the guitars. I, you know. Yeah, totally. I like. I I can see that with other bands from the era like uh, Mudvayne. Like, I couldn't see a band like Mudvayne exist before this era because, like, especially mm-hmm. with the basses. The basses was all slap and pop, which so in cool. metal, like. That was kind of weird beforehand, uh, before that era, you know. Oh yeah, Faith, Faith No More did a little bit of that, right? Yeah, uh, a little slap uh, pop and uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. But I wouldn't. Oh yeah, I don't sure. know. Would you? Would you, I don't know if I'd call them like as heavy as these bands, though. No, I think Faith No More. I would call more funk metal. Yeah, like they definitely had a big funk influence. Same with obviously Red Hot Chili Peppers. But mm-hmm. yeah, Mudvayne probably has a lot to owe to Limp Bizkit because like, oh yeah, listen to Counterfeit. The bass is just fucking going off on counterfeit. Mm. Oh yeah, noty as fuck, dude. <laughs> Can I just, uh, you know, this fucking song? It just r- brings me so many memories of just being a fucking angsty little teenager in high school, listening to this song. You know, fucking repeating the lyrics in my head. You know, freaking me out. You were a mascot <laughs> with my fucking hood, with my hoodie over my head and oh, everything. Just God. thinking I'm so fucking cool. <laughs> oh, I would have. I would have stayed. Stayed at least ten feet away from you at all times. I was like, that that that's a dangerous kid. I'm not gonna talk. I'm not gonna go near that kid. Yeah. Whatever you do, like, don't don't buy thirteen year old Louisa a fucking trench coat. <laughs> I I wish, man, I wish I could have been an angsty middle schooler listening to this album because I feel like it would have affected me so much differently. But now I'm just an angsty twenty five year old. Yeah, man. Like there's so much music like this. Like you said, uh it hits differently for people uh with nostalgia and without nostalgia. Um it's just like it I wouldn't be able to listen to this album nowadays because like I'd be too old for it, you know? Like I just would not be yeah. able to identify with a lot of the lyrics that it's saying. But, but because why? I know of the mentality that I was in at at the time, like it makes sense to me for some reason. I had no reason to be as angsty as I was, but I was so angsty, right. like it going matter. in middle school. Middle school does something to you, man. Like, but I enjoyed middle like... school. Yeah, dude, that's your balls Me drop. Too. That doesn't mean you can't be angsty. <laughs> yeah, your balls drop, and you're just like you have all this pent up, like. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like a, it's like when your balls drop, it's like a pressure valve just releases. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly you're listening to Crawling, Linkin Park, and like, uh, Cold Chamber. And, and Trapped oh, started to make sense. Trapped. Dude, oh, Cold dude, Chamber? Trapped, Papa Roach. Cold Chamber Those... was my shit, dude. Oh, we had, we, had, 
we had two very different like you know, angsty middle school experiences between all i remember all. about cold chamber is that the guitarist had like that bright lime green acrylic guitar that's the only thing i remember dude about that and band. he would put he would put blood in it sometimes oh, so there'd be swishing man. there'd be liquid swishing around in the guitar it looked awesome yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah but i had no reason to be as angsty as i was but this album and the first corn record were like my outlets mm-hmm. and i was listening to creed at the same time and rage and all that shit but like the first corn record and this one were just like that's when i would sit down and just foam at the mouth and just <laughs> just, just fucking bark at my dad <laughs> bark, at my, bark, bark, bark at your dog <laughs> get away from me <laughs> 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 Don't come in here. You were like a little poodle. Is that what you were doing? I, I wanted to be so tough, but it, it never came out. So <laughs> I, I wanted to be DMX, but it came out as a poodle. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know why. I, I, think, imagine, like, I think you're just picturing you here with it. a fucking giant pro and just like it's swaying back and forth as you're going. <laughs> <laughs> My door's locked. Don't come in here. (laughs) That was also right around the time that my dad um, subscribed me to uh, Playboys. So that's yeah. I was probably super pent up because uh, I would just look at the Playboys. I didn't do anything with them. I remember when I had to fucking like trade and like find them. (laughs) Oh, dude. Did you? That was something that happened a ton when in our generation. Like, I feel like yeah, was, right before we got the magazines. internet. Yeah, like I would find porn mags like in in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really? like that was a legit. That was le- a legit thing. Yeah, I was running into fucking porn mags while like you know just walking around the neighborhood, uh, like forest or whatever. <laughs> that was yeah. totally, what the movie Stand by I, Me is I, really like, about. That's it's so funny that you mentioned that, but like, yeah, that was totally a thing that like you, don't, you really don't see anymore. Why was that a thing? That's so weird. Fucking dude, people, people are always gonna be horny. It's just you know <laughs> back then they had to fucking buy magazines for it. And not just that, maybe <laughs> some people were like, they couldn't get a fucking moment to themselves. So they're just like, I'm gonna go on a, I'm gonna go on a walk, and then they're in the woods and they bring their magazine with them. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah, I bet you there's a lot of that. So much of finding porn growing up. <sighs> and then we and then we got the internet, and you would just like download one picture at a time get the first wave of pixels <laughs> uh, it's just color then the second wave of pixels get a little bit more form the worst was when it would start from the top and go like yeah and just slowly the whole picture would build and you're just like all right i'm almost to the nipple i'll be back in five minutes you're just edging for fucking 15 minutes yeah dude that that probably explains why everyone was so mad it's because y'all y'all like it was so hard for y'all to freaking release <laughs> dude yeah and i didn't even i didn't even i thought the concept of releasing was so gross until high school so i didn't do anything until freshman year of high school and big fucking big surprise now i think back why was i so angry when i was 12 and 13 because <laughs> yeah you're fucking your your little dudes drop and you're just like it is a pressure valve of just like oh, i have this whole new drive and i don't know what to do with it and I'm a fat, awkward, fucking thirteen-year-old. I mean, it's just the, puberty and emotions and realizations are all happening at the same time to every single person you talk to, and it's like, 
mania. It's mania. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just listening, listening to this album, singing. Wonder what it's like to be a clone doing nothing, nothing of my own. <laughs> yeah, my dad would be trying to talk to me. Like, Get back, back, back. Like what the fuck, man? Here's some, uh, like, here's some porn. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, just sub- here's a subscription to Playboy. Just fucking calm down. <laughs> whatever you're, whatever this is, just do like take this and stop that <laughs> and then after a couple of years of playboy it wasn't enough anymore you know so you got two fucking milk toast so i'm like dad when am i gonna get my first penthouse <laughs> oh yeah I forgot. so like, he bought me my first the, penthouse penthouse was the upgrade to the fucking yeah and some penetration finally jesus that's what i'm dude i wasn't ready for that <laughs> that was like it, the, the first penetration i saw was a guy completely covered in blue paint and a girl banging him and I was like, I what? don't like this, Dad. Was this a Blue Man Group special mag or something? Probably. It was 1999. <laughs> Y'all loved those themed porno mags back yeah. then. Oh, I gave yeah, it back man. to my dad. I was like, throw There's this away. There's one for everything. And my, one I was like, Dad, butts. you have to throw this away. I don't. This is fucked up. And he was like, yeah, sure. I'm going to throw it away. I'll throw it I'll, in the forest. Yeah. <laughs> in the forest. <laughs> I'll donate it. <laughs> donate it to the forest where some little kids will find it. Yeah. Some so little tr- kid will find a waterlogged penthouse and it'll make his fucking summer. <laughs> well, uh, okay. What's your second Nardug, <laughs> Luis? <laughs> uh, or should I was, we like move I was going to say like. I was going to say like maybe Faith just because. Yeah. I was one of the first impressions that I got from them. And I and I really really enjoyed the shit out of that song. I think it's a great cover. Yeah. Uh, me too, man. I think it's a legitimate cover. Like they're not honestly, making it a joke. And, and like now thinking about what you said, as far as like the length of this album, I, if there is one place I would probably cut this album off, it's at Faith. And everything after that, just leave it. Especially the the sixteen minute fucking outro. Yeah. <laughs> what was up with that? Kind of, I Man. honestly skipped through it this time. So I, I feel like that's just a remnant of the of the time. So like, uh, I don't know if y'all remember this, but uh, there were a lot of albums that their last track, in order to include like hidden tracks or whatever, where uh, you can kind of hide them from your audience, yeah. was to add like do something on the very last song, but then add a shit ton of silence, like at least ten minutes mm. of silence. No, yeah. So yeah. that you can get to like a, a bonus track that you otherwise can't get to. Yeah, but we uh, I was so into um, intros and outros and hidden tracks like when mm-hmm. I was a kid. Like I loved when albums had intros. Albums don't really have intros anymore. They just get into no, it. I mean, yep. I mean, there's no need for it. Um, the way we consume music now is just completely different from the way we used to before. I mean, yeah. As I remember as a kid, just uh, like having to save up money and make a decision on which, what was the next album I was going to buy, and it better be a fucking good one, because that's all I'm going to listen to for the next several weeks. Yeah, I think you're, I think that's, you nailed it, dude. Like, we don't have intros anymore because it's really singles that are compiled into albums after a while now. Mm. Like when, and when we were growing up, an album was an experience. Like you sat down and listened to the whole thing and it was meant to be listened to that way. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it's very different now, but I was, I was super into the hidden track thing. And I thought one of the coolest things ever, and I don't know if y'all remember any albums that had this, but there would be a hidden 
hidden track, but it would only play if you were listening to the, if you had, you couldn't play it if you skipped to it. And it would, uh, if you, if you guys had like Discman or like, you know, little CD players, those uh-huh. tracks would play in reverse. It would be a negative and it would be a countdown. And there was, I can, I want to say Corn had one of them, but it was that like. That sounds, that sounds really familiar. You had to listen I, to the whole song before about. it. Yeah. Those, the song that came yeah. before the hidden track, you had to finish it and it, and then it would play into this like super hidden track that was like, a, just like, yeah, it would count down from it and i thought that was the coolest thing and i i don't know where that went or like how many people did it but it was when i was younger man it like blew my little fucking brain i would say like uh, i I would say i would half love it and half hate it just because i i the the joy of of, uh, experiencing it for the first time there's definitely that but then liking the song and then having to go to the last track and sit there with the fucking forward button for like <laughs> however long it took to get to that one part of the song because uh, i remember there was one uh there was one stained album uh that i had uh i think it was dysfunctional now that i think about it that had a secret song at the very end of like 16 minutes of silence and I thought it was a really fucking good song, but I would just hate having to fucking <laughs> hit forward to hit to that one song. Right. Yeah. For sure. That's, and that's what I thought was going to happen on this album. I thought the last song was going to be like two minutes of a real song and then 10 minutes of silence and then a final track. But no, it's just <laughs> no. like ambient them. They're just doing whatever. Noodling. Yeah, like 16 minutes. Yeah. But you know, uh, and I'm sure some motherfuckers listening to that track, trying to find like the meaning behind it or whatever. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's a shame because I don't think there is any. No, not none whatsoever. Uh, uh, Lucas, but, what were your two? Man, it was hard for me because I, there's a lot of songs that I consider like to be on the same tier, like Pollution, Counterfeit, Stuck, and Faith. I would say are all like just as good as the other. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, pollution and faith, I would say have to be like my two nar nugs and then sour and, and, uh, counterfeit and stuck are all like my next tier. So like, uh, stalemate. I don't think too much of that song, but it's got this one breakdown in the middle of it that like, to me more than makes up for the rest of the song and like makes it kind of like a, almost a third choice for me. Really? Mm-hmm. That super bassy thing? Yeah, there's just this really fucking cool breakdown in the middle of it that uh, like always stuck with me. Like it's just such a hard hitting part. And again, like like I mentioned before, it just does this thing, gives me fucking energy. Like makes me want to fucking break down a wall or something. <laughs> makes you want to break stuff. Yeah, I'm listening to it now. <laughs> it is fucking badass. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cool stuff on this album that I can't tell if it's the bassist or West Borland playing it's man it's yeah (laughs) it's cool it's really cool i i think i mean the basis is top notch in this on this album man Mm -hmm. every every song like nearly every song has some fantastic bass part in there and he's energy too man when you see him playing live he's doing this like double stomp thing where he almost like looks like he's like head banging and like he's fucking getting into it Mm -hmm. hmm but Sour was the one that, like, uh, Sour's up there. I love Sour. And that's the one that starts out with that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that weirdo guitar part. Yeah, and I, I couldn't tell if it was guitar or bass. Speaking of videos uh, about this, uh, oh man, I found this one video, Lucas, that I think is gonna you're gonna really fucking enjoy. Uh, look up WrestleMania 17, the Stone Cold Austin versus The Rock in Houston. They did a promo to uh, Limp Bizkit's, uh Oh yeah. Oh, fuck. What was that? What was the one? Uh, I think my way was single the, that they had. Yeah, my way. Yeah, it was, that was my the, way. The song Dude. of WrestleMania 17. Holy fucking really? shit! I could yeah. not stop laughing. You gotta fucking watch this promo, man. Like, not only for the Houston nostalgia, but like that song and just the overall feeling. Like, uh dude, The Rock keeps doing this thing, like. Where he does like a crab stance up against yes. Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I just I lose it every time. He, he that's does that's it. what The Rock would do when you know he's about to do the rock bottom on someone. <laughs> <laughs> he would get into this like horse the rock stance. Bottom. Luis, you fucking. That's how I know that you know me really well because um, I went to that WrestleMania, dude. Oh man, you were there. <laughs> I, that's the WrestleMania that I went to, and it's considered yeah, man. Like one it was uh, two thousand one, I think. Two thousand one in uh, Re- Reliant Astrodome. God. Dude, April I 1st. went to that. I bought a piece of that mat. Or April. 1st. <laughs> that was like two hundred dollars, and it came on a plaque. And I begged my dad oh, to my buy God. that for me. Um, I, I went to there was a thing called access like wwe access or whatever and you got to meet a bunch of wrestlers and they would be like the undertaker's hearst and all these like i i announced a match with peter uh and we announced it with a guy called coach uh and he was like one of the kind of interviewers at wwf at the time but he was doing a thing where like you would wait in line and, and they would play a video like a recording of a of a match and you would pick which one you wanted to to watch and we would, we fucking, me and Peter, 15, 14 or 15 years old, <laughs> announcing a match, dude, and going like, stop the damn match, stop the match, this is too much. Like, we were getting so into it, and like, Coach was like laughing and shit. It was like one of the best things. Dude, yeah, I was at that WrestleMania. It was fucking awesome. Man, I, I, I watched a little bit of the promo, and... My brother used to be super into WrestleMania, and by proxy, I was as well. And I uh-huh. kind of miss it, man. I kind of miss the zaniness of the whole. Yeah, thing. dude. Uh, there's a the theatrics great YouTube. of it all. Yeah, it's a it was it's a soap opera for for dudes. Um, yeah, and yeah. yeah, the that era was the best. Like um, with Stone Cold and The Rock and Undertaker and all them. But I've been watching a really good YouTube channel called the OSW, the Old School Wrestling Podcast. And they they chronicle uh, Hulk Hogan's entire like rise and fall through uh, pay per views, and that like I never was into wrestling in the eighties and early nineties. I got into it like mid nineties or whatever. But that has given me so much like appreciation for the early days of really how goofy wrestling was. Like we were <laughs> we were watching wrestling during like the Attitude Era, and I think you were watching Brett during the pure aggression era or something there was uh triple h cm punk uh ray mysterio uh you uh, know the john Undertaker. cena john cena yeah that's when the yeah. rock would kind of pepper in and out of it because he was like a huge movie star already at that point oh yeah uh, rick flair i saw i i was watching live when triple h uh did like his final move on rick flair and like made him retire from uh, wrestling forever. I, I, I saw it. it. I saw it live. I heard that was a great feud. <laughs> uh, but yeah, my, that... my brother was freaking out. 
<laughs> he was Dude. absolutely losing his marbles. It's like uh, whenever the WrestleMania that I went to, which is really cool too, like that it's considered like, if not the greatest WrestleMania, like one of the greatest, which is really cool. Just happened to be one, the one that I went to. Um, but that's the one that Stone Cold turned heel. He went bad. And like, <laughs> oh, that like I, I walked away completely heartbroken. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sorry for you know maybe that's why you were so into this album. <laughs> you were like Stone Cold, you're counter. Y'all y'all have one thing in common with Fred Durst is that this motherfucker really liked wrestling as well. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was a very, uh, the Undertaker was a used, very active part of it. The Undertaker used um, Roland as his intro mm-hmm. song for like God a long damn. time. What a fucking awful song. Yeah, oh, and man. it was when Undertaker wow. was like a biker, which was a weird yeah. time in, oh, in history. <laughs> and so he would come out to the ring riding a motorcycle. And yeah, I Roland think he had his like, hair pulled back. and He was wearing a was bandana, wearing... Oh, man. a leather oh, vest and God. shit. But before he came out to Roland, he came out to... Uh, and I'm pretty sure they performed Roland live at WrestleMania for Undertaker. Uh, really? he came out. I'm 90% sure. Um, but he, he, uh, also undertaker used American badass by kid rock before that. Mm. So undertaker has had good taste in music his whole career. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, Brett, man. all those bands, like just fucking listening to them back in the day. Like I used to be, so I hate to, nah, I have a little pride in this, I guess, uh, just to show how much I've grown. One of my first, no, it was my first album that I bought with my own money was Kid Rock, Devil Without a Cause. Ba with the Ba? Yeah. Oh, I, I loved that, that album. That song was so awesome back that, in the day. That song was one of those that it was just like a, like I was like, what? Jump the boogie. My name is Keith. Oh, man, yeah. Kid Rock. Yeah, that was a that that song was one of those that like it did it like had a little like blew my little mind when it came yeah. out too. But that was man, that was the first guy that I got into that like really opened the door for a lot of these other bands. Uh, like if I w- if it wasn't for Kid Rock, never would have gotten to Slipknot. Slipknot got me into wow. Black Sabbath. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. that's a weird uh, connection there. Yeah, it was just the uh, you know it was just the stuff that was coming out at the time. Um, the shit that I was being exposed to, I, you know, reflecting on it now, uh, MTV for sure had a big influence on what I was catching back in the day. Um, my uh, morning routine was to wake up to uh, MTV and music videos in the morning. When they played music, man. Yep. So pretty even sick. though even though I never uh, got into Linkin Park, there are certain songs like Crawling that uh just instantly instantly sent me back to my fucking room in my bed waking up Man. watching that fucking music video uh i loved linkin park <laughs> <laughs> dude I, the the first album i thought of when we were listing albums to do in the future was meteora by linkin park because that album is just so oh the production on that album is so tasty i'm excited to talk about that one because i haven't listened to that legitimately since i was like 13 or 14 oh dude you i think you're i think you're really gonna like it i loved it when Uh, i was a kid who knows when we're gonna get to it though (laughs) (laughs) we could do it next 
Eh, we'll see. You know? <laughs> um, what were your uh, fucking... I mean, there's, real quick, I talking about MTV. Um, yeah, totally, dude. Like, there was, there was a... I think it was MTV2. There was one weekend that they were playing um, three hours or four hours of nothing but, like, new metal that was coming out. Not new metal, but, like, just n- new metal music and all these music videos. That was the first time I heard System of a Down. Like, Spiders was... Uh, oh, yep. wow. Yeah. Yep. Uh, or Sugar. Sugars was was the song. And then, like, the first time I heard Ramstein with Duhast, Filter, like, all these, like, fucking spine shank yeah. Oh man, spine shank. You just holy shit. Uh, I just have a very distinct memory of spine shank because I bought one album off uh, off of them that uh, I remember listening to a bit, but then just completely stopped listening to them after that one album. Yeah, spine shank and head PE and Taproot and mm. all those. Bands. Another one like that was uh, man. You just opened the fucking floodgates. <laughs> Stabbing westward. Oh yeah. Like the 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 cheap nine inch nails. <laughs> the, <laughs> what was their big? Uh, their, save yourself. I don't know if they had. I don't know if they had any big singles, but like it was just. They were a cop. They were just a straight up copy of Nine Inch Nails. You gotta <laughs> save yourself or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. They those all those bands all came and went. El Nino, mm-hmm. fucking Unloco. The the whole little Nikki soundtrack just came yeah. and went. But uh, Brett, we still haven't talked about your nugs. My narnugs. <laughs> I tried. I was I was really trying real hard not to make it the obvious ones, mm. but it, it, like for Indigo Flow, I really like the music on that one. Yeah, and it's it's <laughs> kind of my favorite vibe uh, on that one. But just take just take the rap. It's it. population. Yeah. It, it's it's friggin' uh, pollution and uh, counterfeit. That's mm. what it is. You know, those are just my two favorites on mm. the album. Counterfeit is my favorite song. Yeah, and counterfeit's amazing. You freaking me out. You wear a mask. Come counterfeit. You freaking me out. You wear a mask. Yeah. Indigo flow. It, it just goes. Indigo flow gets no love from me because he is clearly doing a ripoff of Method Man. He's trying so hard to be Method Man on it. I, I can't support it. I wonder. I wonder if Indigo Flow was the uh, the beginning of in, of like building up to In Together now with Method Man, which is a great song. <laughs> I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's great, but like it's. Uh, it's one of those songs that like I just enjoy for the pure corniness, nostalgia of it all. We're in together now, birds of a feather now. <laughs> I I think Indigo Flow would have been a much better song if it was just an instrumental. Honestly, yeah, for sh- oh yeah, for sure, totally. I uh, mean, we can say that for a lot. We can, Limp we can make that argument for a good <laughs> amount of stuff here, but no pollution counterfeit. Mm. Like, how can you? How can you? You know, like how can you beat that? I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I feel like those first three songs, like those two and Stuck, are just so fucking just. Like still good. I think those three songs I would say I would still like if I heard today, and I never heard it before. You know. Mm. But one of the weirdest things about this album, before we get into like our actual rating, is it's weird that I found out that Tool was such a huge influence on this. Yeah, I yeah. read that on on Genius as well, and like I think nobody loves me, 
or you can you stuff? can definitely you can definitely hear the influence on nobody loves me as far as like uh the way maynard sang on undertow specifically uh was the biggest influence and like i don't know i feel like there's this guitar screeching thing that i think borland is doing that kind of sounds like a like a metalish scrape something that tool would definitely fucking use yeah i would say i could hear it a lot more in the guitar and bass than in his vocals but it's it's weird to hear like how much because it just sounds like fred durst to me on nobody loves me mm. i i mean it's just so the dude for all the for all the crap that we give him and all the crap he deserves like you can't mix him up with anybody you know yeah. fred's fred like durst is durst dust to dust and durst to durst yeah. as i always say durst is gonna durst dirt durst is gonna durst sorry it, 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 you know and uh like just forgetting some of the things that they did that like at the time were like huge fucking bits of news like i completely forgot about the woodstock thing that they did in 1999 and how big of a deal it was back then like they just could from what i remember like they just complete the audience just went fucking coco loco and <laughs> started happened? to break they uh like they just uh they amped up the onion the audience so much yeah that at, at some point people started breaking down the stage Oh and, God. and like and they started to break down some of the like the light and uh, sound uh, stands like the huge fucking pillars that are in the middle of the crowd so that everyone can hear and see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was crazy. Like they were breaking that shit down like it fell into the crowd and everything. I think like, a it was riot just, broke oh out. Oh, God. Yeah. I think it was and, legitimately uh, considered a riot mm-hmm. uh, because like one thing with Woodstock that a lot of people were already pissed off because like the facilities were really bad. Um, and then also water was like $7 a bottle or $10 a bottle or something like that. And it's out in this open field all day. It's hot as fuck in the middle of summer. Sounds like ACL. Right. (laughs) And so I think Fred Durst started, like, I think it was when they were playing break stuff was the song that people blew the fuck up to, yeah. To the point where they're breaking down like the fencing and the plywood and all this stuff. And then you're right. But there's a really forgot about that. Yeah. It was break stuff that caused the the riot to like really start he was like come on you motherfuckers let's get fucking like let's get you know and then like he's there's a really cool shot of him standing on a piece of plywood like crowd surfing and he's like singing like fucking screaming and all this crowd is just like holding him up yeah dude it became a fucking riot a riot broke out because of lint biscuit (laughs) who would have thought you were who would have you were four years old brett I was. You were also a limp biscuit. <laughs> I was a little limp biscuit myself. You, sh- you should have just been a limp biscuit, but you became a little boy. <laughs> now I'm a little stiff biscuit. Yeah. Do you know what limp biscuit's supposed to mean? I think it's Probably just like a, a flaccid dick like or a, something like that, isn't it? Yeah, like a pussy or something. I don't know. I heard it's actually uh, a vagina. Like just the like you mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um, that all of their song titles, everything is just like just offensive, like other names for offensive shit. Yeah, purposefully, like trying to. What, what is uh, his little quote here? He says, um, "The best way to get our message across is through shock value. That's what grabs yeah. people, getting people to react by showing something negative, hoping something positive will come out of it." This sound has been described as new metal or rap core. So, like mm-hmm. again, I feel like he had a, a marketer's mentality of like, what are people going to connect with? Right. 
I mean, even even the title of this album is just another name for a queer person. Yeah, queer is a three dollar bill. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and then they he thought it would be even more like turn people off by putting y'all at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, because he, because <laughs> because of a, a South Florida. Uh, lingo might be, might offend the rest of the U.S. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were talking about this before too, Brett. How like Counterfeit is about all these bands that are trying to copy Limp Biscuit, and it's just like, dude, your album hadn't even come out yet. Like, how are there so many ripoffs yeah. of Limp Biscuit already? Mm. Yeah, the ego on you. <laughs> uh, but let's let's get into rankings, y'all. Let's let's get into we do a zero to ten, Luis. Mm. is is how we usually do it if you want to make it zero to a hundred that's your choice and olympic uh, olympics rules applies where you can do decimals yeah and if i, I would i would give it anywhere between 8.5 and an 8.9 something like that not so like an 8.7 is what you're saying ah <laughs> uh, man yeah yeah why not 8.7 it's a really okay. high eight Hey man, whatever man. Like, if you really like it, you really like mm. it. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. <laughs> I think I feel like I would have given this an eight point seven like a couple years ago. Uh-huh. And for some reason, listening to it this time, there was a lot. There was more moments of like, oh, this is kind of a skipper, you know, or like, <laughs> oh, his lyrics are pretty fucking dumb sometimes. Um, so this went. Oh, they're dumb all over the place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, this went from an eight to a seven for me, but like I would still give this like a seven point seven. Yeah, just because I it, there's so much. Um, if you can even call it like guilty pleasure that I get from this album, and so much <laughs> nostalgia right. tied to it, like it's just it. Yeah, I I feel like if they cut some of the songs, it would have been higher. It'd be stronger, right? Yeah, it'd be a lot stronger. Like there was no reason that this needed to be an hour long album. You know, no. You uh, you take out nobody loves me, you take out clunk, stinkfinger, and indigo flow, and it is a fucking killer record. Oh, no, and maybe like ten minutes of everything, <laughs> <laughs> and put in rearrange for fucking yeah. Go ahead and put rearrange in there. Which, by the way, there was a part in sour. I think it, it like the chorus like of the, sour sounds the proto rearranged. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, I had to get out that out there, but yeah, I would give this one a uh, six point seven. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> wow, that's so much higher well, than I would have ever expected you to rate it. Look, I mean, as Louis said earlier, like each song does have a moment, you know, but yeah. some songs feel like it's filler to that moment, and it it was hard for me to get through this entire record. But there are definitely some real good choice songs that i'm gonna go back to whenever i'm just like in a mood rage you know i'm yeah. just gonna rage against a machine or two put or maybe black, the machine. put on your black hoodie <laughs> gonna, i'm gonna go around like Luis, and i'm just gonna like <laughs> like wear a trench coat and uh, freak me out you wear a mask <laughs> have a, a sweatband around your forearm for no reason <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have like a like a peel tattoo on my face that I put on there. With like I forgot water the fucking I forgot the sweat arm band thing. It was totally a thing back then. I did it for yeah for singers everywhere. Dude, how many how many fucking leather studded wristbands did I buy from Hot Topic? <laughs> 
you gotta you gotta be torn to have those things on, right? Or like uh, the thing is like you got the fucking pretty the jacked, metal yeah. bead, the metal bead necklaces they would sell too, <laughs> that were made out of a toxic metal. That'd be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would leave like blue dots on your neck if you had yeah. like a, a oh, allergy God. to it. Dude, I yep. mean that uh that 1996 Cool Kid starter pack that's on Reddit, that was exactly how I dressed. Yeah. I listened to Evil Empire. I wore Jinkos. I had a fucking chain wallet. <laughs> I had the fucking pants that had the fucking belt strips in the back the for some reasons. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I didn't. I didn't wear Constantly those. Constantly get cotton shit all the time. Dude, I would. I had menace because I couldn't afford Jinkos, but I got menace jeans <laughs> that were the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. All right. And I had. Okay. A, you know, Jinkos right. is still around. Yeah, for sure. Surprisingly it's, enough, it's they, they've kind of they've kind of like uh, reinvented themselves, I think, since the uh, huge parachute pants. It got it got totally ripped off from rave culture, right? I'm not entirely sure. I just remember uh, thinking about them one day and like looking up the companies to, to see if they're even still around. And yeah, sure enough, they're still around, still doing their thing. I mean, I don't think they rely so much on the pants like they used to. Oh, they but, actually make other shit. Yeah. Oh man. Like they had to diver- they had to diversify a little bit. <laughs> Did y'all ever go to the Gadzooks store in the mall? Oh man. What? Gadzooks <laughs> was the time, store right? I would go to uh back when uh South Park first came out in sixth grade. Really into that fucking show to the point where I uh I really, really needed to get all four character uh, stickers on my fucking binder <laughs> for that year like it's just it was a necessity and they fucking sold the stickers man they had a whole bunch of cool stuff there yeah gadzooks was the hot topic before hot topic yep <laughs> like gadzooks uh, that's Sounds where i bought like pretty pretty legit dude but they had uh like they weren't as gothy i would say they're they would lean more towards like the tribal kind of looking stuff urban that's the best way i can explain it yeah, yeah. i would say more urban because I, I bought like a scarface t-shirt there yeah and but also like there was also a bit of a spencer's gif vibe to it because yeah, sure. that's where i bought all of those like remember my name you'll be screaming it later shirts yeah uh, you bought those <laughs> that's all i wore for like all of middle school oh. brett Oh boy, I don't know if we would have been friends in middle school. <laughs> even even going into high school, dude, I had a shirt like if you choked a Smurf, what color would it turn? Really? Uh, ne- never played leapfrog with a that unicorn. That was like, don't talk to me like you have an anal probe stuck in your butt or something like that. All those. It was so fucking cringy. I wore all those, man. I thought it was hilarious. That yeah. and Hawaiian shirts all through middle school. <laughs> like a bomb inspector, if you see me running, try and keep up. <laughs> FBI, female body inspector. Yeah. Okay. All right. So thank you all for watching another episode of Earbuds. Be sure to check us out on Instagram, EBPcast, or Jean-Luc Guitard, or Brett Hanrahan. You'll find us on all of those. We have a YouTube channel. We're on iTunes. Wherever podcasts are found, you can comment. And if you comment, we may, probably will, tell your comment on the show. Just comment. <laughs> Come on, guys, Come please. On. Arr, comment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you don't comment, I'm going to keep barking on every episode. <laughs> Luis, dude, uh, thank you for, for joining us, man. This is awesome yeah. having you on here. Uh, thank you for having me. 
this is uh this is awesome fuck yeah uh yeah man you're welcome on anytime if you want to find some sweet some cool art too the, um Louise the only thing good, is uh, that i'll uh oh shit go ahead uh, i was gonna plug your instagram because your art is awesome and it's uh man can you can you uh how do you pronounce it what's your instagram name Sapoada? Saparola? <laughs> yeah Saparoa craft i don't know i just came up with something back then which uh i don't even know if i'm still even gonna have it up because uh with all the stuff um i'm gonna be releasing soon i think i'm gonna you know Rebrand. shut that one down and yeah exactly well where are you releasing all that stuff you big boy oh it's still in the works man uh just getting um some tracks recorded of course you know with the pandemic and everything i had a lot of time on my hands and uh right kind of rediscovered music in a different way a little bit more poppy a little bit more you know dark synth wave whatever you want to call it and um yeah i'm excited to release it here soon in a bit the pseudonym is going to be mellow malton and uh hopefully other people like it besides me well hell yeah dude let us know when that's out and we can we can fucking share it and plug it yeah for sure yeah man but yeah, I'm excited, y'all, because uh, the masters that I've been receiving are fucking kicking ass, and the music that I'm, the other music that uh, Michael's working on, as well with Straggler Daisy, I think is going to be really cool as well. I agree. I'm excited to hear what y'all do with that. Okay, but with that, uh, Luis, this was good. <laughs> Thanks, man. I was I was nervous at first, just because like uh, I knew that once we got into it, it'd be better. Like just uh, yeah, getting yeah. over the. It's just trying to get the trying to get the right level of like high and caffeinated. <laughs> <laughs> That's me every episode. The productive level. <laughs> I never know what my equilibrium and also, is. Also, uh, just because I I misunderstood y'all, I thought we were gonna listen to this like live and comment on it. But for next time, for sure, I'll like listen to it and take right. notes. Yeah. But yeah, like throughout the week, I was just uh, it was super interesting to do research on this, just because there were so many things. Uh, that to me were just like little snapshots of that era. For example, that fucking WrestleMania video that I found, <laughs> like I just, I, I couldn't stop laughing. Like that to me was such an awesome little tidbit that I found. Uh, the videos of like uh, Fred Durst trying to fucking play guitar. Uh, there's this one, there's this one really old YouTube video that's like in 240p, really fucking grainy. You can barely make out what's happening, but this is, this is around the time where uh, West Borland like left the second or third time, I think it might be the, the that shitty ass that I, I didn't even realize was even out. Results may vary. It's got that shitty ass cover with Fred Durst's face on it, and it's just got a green filter, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, mm. But Fred Durst thought he could play guitar, and so he tried playing guitar during on this album. And as a result, there's videos of him trying to play live, and there's this one video in particular where. He's trying to play a solo, and it's one of the worst things to ever come out of an electric instrument. I mean, it is just bad, dude. It's so bad. There is no excusing it. Dude, could it be? Could it possibly be worse than just electric violin in Dave Matthews Band? Oh yeah, it's worse than that. It's I would say it's worse than the one with uh, Little Wayne. Like, there's that one famous video of Little Wayne oh, trying to yeah, play guitar. Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's even worse than that. Wow. Well, I, I can't mean, wait to watch it. <laughs> we got to end this and dang then, episode. 
and then uh like finding out about the tool thing i thought i thought that was just interesting uh just um how close a lot of these bands were uh with each other and then they stayed in a lot of the same circles um what was the other thing that i found interesting uh oh yeah forgot to mention counterfeit has an interesting little story about uh payola back in the day with yeah. uh uh, radios and all that so apparently um, it was either the manager at the time or the producer uh, paid a radio station in uh, California to pay counterfeit for like $5,000 and uh, <laughs> I guess even then the reception wasn't too good for it because it hardly increased their sales for that year <laughs> but it, it's just one of those interesting like little relics of that time where like yeah that was a totally a fucking thing where uh bands would pay radios to play their songs and apparently that's happening again now with uh streaming services with uh features companies like spotify that uh, are not they're now offering artists the option to receive less in money in return for more promotion on their platforms so just like a smaller percentage yeah getting on featured playlists i heard is a, is a thing that artists are actually kind of paying for now yeah which is um, not a surprise. <laughs> oh, whatever. What? You, well, you know, what? What? Whatever. But yeah, man. Playlists are uh, playlists are their new radio stations, man. For sure. YouTube is the new TV. Mm-hmm. It's all changing. There's a really cool video of David Bowie talking about what the internet is going to become, like in 1999, and he fucking called it all of it. How mediums are just completely Jeez. blurred now, and and the spread of information is going to be, you know, dangerous and, uh, you know, amazing. <laughs> sure but uh Luis, yeah man let us know next time you want to be on this dude you are welcome to to join and we're down to listen to anything you want to listen to sweet i'll i'll think of something else this is kind of like impromptu but at the same time i really enjoyed it <laughs> just listening to it again i'll take any <laughs> excuse to listen to this album again <laughs> and and brett this was good this was, you know what this is good <laughs> and a three and a two and a one <laughs>